MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio, Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB, MPB Think Radio. And welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell with Dr. Greg Gordon, board certified internist and psychiatrist. Today we're going to be talking about the everyone gets a trophy mentality. What are the effects of over-nurturing children and how is Generation Y acclimating to the workforce? There are always lines open at the beginning of the show, so if you're interested in our topic this morning and want to join the conversation, you can call us at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464, or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So we're going to be talking today about the positive effects of encouragement versus the drawbacks of rewarding everyone, and also the Generation Y has uh, been referred to in some articles that I was reading as sort of the pampered generation, so we'll maybe look at ways that uh, pampering kids and a generation of kids and how that will affect them as they enter the work world. Uh, One other thing that's interesting when generations clash, as it were, sometimes the older folks uh, have a little problems dealing (laughs) with uh, younger kids and and, and younger individuals and the way they operate and work. So if you are an older person dealing with uh, folks in the Generation Y generation in your workplace, uh, maybe you could share some experiences of of working with them. Maybe you've had some successful ways of connecting with a younger coworker and, and being productive at work, and maybe you've had a little bit of problem. Either way, we'd like to hear your experiences of older generation working with the the new Generation Y in the workforce, and also, again, uh, the idea of nurturing children and how much is too much. Again, our phone number, 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Good morning, Dr. Gordon. How are you doing today? Oh, good morning. Good morning. It's it's very nice to be back. I know we had Labor Day holiday off, and so I haven't been back here in two weeks. Nice to uh, have a, a Monday off. I think I have the best job out of all the uh, uh, all the shows because I have so many holiday Mondays off. That's true. the uh, The holiday Monday is is uh, is a nice thing to have, and hope you enjoyed your weekend. Oh, absolutely! Just had time to be with my family and uh, hang out. We, it was not a restful week uh, weekend, but it was a fun time for the holiday. Uh, well, let's first talk about uh, maybe the the idea of of encouraging kids versus maybe over nurturing. What how do how do parents decide to try to or how do, can parents figure out the appropriate level of nurturing for children? And maybe first, maybe we could talk more about the idea of nurturing. What do you, what do you think of when you hear the term nurturing? Well, you know, <clears throat> we're getting into the idea that uh, uh, generation the, the baby boomers and Gen X and uh, Gen uh, Y and the millennium. Um, the the millennium generation are oh so different. You know, I think many times you'll find in parenting and raising children, we tend to do what our parents taught us to do. Unless we make very purposeful decisions and choices to do something differently, we're kind of going to raise them pretty much like our parents did. Not exactly. Of course, things change over time. But for the most part, we're going to continue the same values, ideas, cultures, and beliefs, language, and kind of approach on life. You know, so we're, I don't think we're entirely talking about uh, entirely different uh, generations so distinctly different, but uh, to focus on what are some of the things that each group acts and behaves differently and how that impacts getting along. You know, when I think about nurturing, it's sort of a complex idea of how does um, adults, a group of adults, parents, teachers, um, law enforcement, how do, how do we as citizens of an area nurture children? Because it's not just your own child. You know, it's one thing to raise your child. It's another thing to nurture. 
anybody can nurture a child, which is looking to see about providing, uh, well, first, safety, making sure that their needs are met. Uh, some of the most primitive needs need to be taken care of before we can go on to higher things. And then having access to learning, you know, education. Um, but that doesn't just include school. That also includes what happens within a, um, a religious um, uh, setting, what happens, you know, in the community. So when we're talking about nurturing, it's kind of like the holistic approach of how do we raise uh, children to become young teenagers and then hopefully, you know, productive, you know, working, sensible, reasonable adults. But I guess part of the nurturing uh, process is to make sure that we don't smother over uh – I'm not sure what the word – maybe smother sure. would be the word, to to uh, to overprotect maybe. Well, you know, sometimes by over-nurturing we can actually sort of neuter, sort of take away uh, the uh, natural competitive instincts. You know, the, the idea of everybody gets a trophy, it's one where we're trying to see about building self-esteem, but also, you know, does that take away from the competitiveness of this? You know, we can't all be good at everything. You know, I, I'm talking with Karen, our, our new uh, producer, uh, just earlier today um, while waiting to come on. I was explaining <clears throat> I'm a generalist. You know, um, uh, yeah, I do general psychiatry. I do see children and adults, and I do internal medicine, but I've done pediatrics and emergency room. I'm kind of a little jack-of-all-trades here. I'm, I may not be the best psychotherapist in, in this uh, state, but I'm pretty good at what I do. I'm not going to get the trophy for it. Uh, that's going to go to somebody else. But how do we teach our children to learn self-esteem, self-worth, so that they can go out and, and, and make productive parts of their life. You know, part of being successful means you have to fail. If you've, if you've ever gotten on a bike and you've uh, never taken the training wheels off, well, you're not going to fall, you know, but you're not going to get very far if there's somebody there always holding you up. And uh, perhaps my, my wife's favorite story of me over-nurturing was when I was trying to teach my first daughter, Quinn, how to ride a bike. Every Saturday I would uh, you know, go out there and I'd be running behind her, holding her up. And uh, as soon as I let go, if she wobbled after two or three pedals, I'd grab her and hold her and steady her up. Well, it took me being on call at the university for a weekend where I was you know, stuck there most of the day. Uh, not stuck there, I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> working most of the day. And I came home and my wife said, Quinn can ride a bike. And I said, wow, what happened? She goes, I let her fall. And she realized, yes, I can fall and I can get up. And uh, next time when she fell, she headed for the grass. Grass is a lot better than the, than the uh, driveway. But after falling a few times, she was able to ride. And it was because she was able to fall and get up and go again that she learned something. You know, so when everybody is not allowed to fail, then I think we don't get a chance to learn the things that we could have by failing. You know, um, I failed one test in med school. And I t <clears throat> tell my children, I failed it so bad, a monkey throwing its poop at the, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that, but a monkey throwing its stuff uh, at the Scantron could have done better, you know. But, you know, the thing was, I, I'm not very good at embryology. That was the test, embryology. It was terrible to do that, but I realized something about myself that I'm not going to be a neonatal uh, neonatologist. I'm not going to be a pediatric specialist. I'm not going to be doing genetic diseases. I'm going to be doing something different. And by failing, I learned something about myself, which I was then able to apply to the rest of my life. We're on Relatively Speaking this morning. We're going to be talking about the positive effects versus incur of, of encouragement versus the drawbacks of rewarding everyone and, and over-nurturing, as it were. Uh, we're also going to be talking about Generation Y and how they're fitting into the workforce. 
If you have some experiences that you'd like to share, we'd like to hear from you. Again, if you've had some success stories, an older worker working with someone from Generation Y, which we'll, uh, which we should probably define here in a minute, we will. Uh, but we're also looking for some things. Uh, maybe you've had a, a, an example of nurturing your kids, of, of an example of, of uh, letting them fail and, and, and a success story coming from them, like Dr. Gordon shared with us about her, his daughter learning how to ride a bike. You have similar experiences that you'd like to share with us. You can call us at 877-MPB-RING, 877-672-7464. And again, when we talk about Generation Y, I guess we're saying uh, under 30. I think uh, the article that I was reading had two uh, sort of age ranges from 1977 to 2002 or 1978 to 1989. So it's uh, young folks uh, under the age of 30 that are just entering the workforce. And again, sort of the uh, dynamic of of these younger workers coming in and, and having to work and get along and be productive uh, with older workers. We're going to be talking a little bit about that on the program uh, today as well. Um, you know, but the interesting thing to me about nurturing is we talk about that you, you can't be overprotective. But again, kind of go, going back to your example of, of teaching your daughter to ride, you did need to be there at first to hold on to the bike to make sure she didn't fall. So I guess you have to encourage, but it's trying to figure out when to let them fail or, or how old. I mean, because the other thing, going back to our everybody gets a trophy thing, you know, I think about that. I was a, a referee and, and coach in youth soccer for a number of years. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the idea of, say, 12-year-olds, a whole team of 12-year-olds, everybody getting a trophy, but, say, six- or seven-year-olds. So is there maybe – is it ever too young to start teaching that, I guess, is what my question is. Well, you know, it's going to depend on each child is very different and very individual. And you're going to find some kids who are actually um, going to be more competitive, and they will take sort of – them and their parents will sort of take them out of the um, kind of the YMCA which is what my son plays, and, and he has a great time um, doing it, which has that sort of idea that we want to nurture. But it's going to it's going to base uh, on the individual itself. As time goes on, you'll, as a parent, get a chance to see the readiness for them to have that. And again, I think part of you know building character is allowing yourself, allowing your children to fail, allowing yourself to fail, because there's a lot to be learned from that. You know, I, I do see a general trend, though. You know, as as a doctor, I hate to. It, it's so funny for me to say this, but I guess I trained during the old time era. You know, um, I was part of that group before some of the new regulations came into effect where there was no maximum hours, you know, where we could, as I was saying, we could, my longest day I ever had was 38 hours being up straight without sleep. I remember being so tired I couldn't walk back to my car to drive home. You know, or 128 hours being the longest work week I've ever had. Um, I think I learned a lot by doing that. Now we have new work hours for the medical students and medical residents, which limit them to really no more than 24 hours consecutive and no more than 80 hours in a work week, which I think, too, uh, is important because it teaches them what I was never taught. Part of my generation in being a doctor, and I'm 43 now, was, you know, a doctor doesn't take vacation. Um, and the term I heard was only lazy doctors take vacations, that you're, you're not supposed to take care of yourself and your family. That's one thing I think the Gen Y uh, folks are saying is, look, I am working for a lifestyle. My life is not my work, you know. And so um, everything doesn't – all of their satisfaction and their sense of accomplishment doesn't have to come from work. They want to do other things as well. 
that they're going to come. They're going to be productive at work. They're getting higher degrees. We're seeing more and more people going on for college in higher degrees than we've ever seen. But at the same time, we're seeing more people on disability than we've ever seen before. And Mississippi is one of the highest ranking states in the country for people on disability of work age um, uh, people. You know, so we're seeing kind of people who can be successful. Again, we're still seeing competition bringing the cream to the top, if you will. We're on Relatively Speaking. Time for our first break. Uh, We are talking this morning about uh, the positive effects of encouragement versus the drawbacks of rewarding everyone, over-nurturing. We're also going to be talking about Generation Y and how uh, they are entering the workforce and having to work with some older folks and how that dynamic will go. If you have a question, a comment, want to join the conversation, the number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. We'll be back with more after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. And welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell with Dr. Greg Gordon. And this morning we're talking about encouragement versus over-nurturing and that difficult line that parents have to toe between encouraging their children to do well, nurturing them to make sure that they are safe and sound, but also uh, letting them grow, letting them uh, learn to stand on their own two feet, letting them learn to uh, fail every once in a while. Um, If you have questions or comments about our topic, uh, you can call us at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. We're also going to be talking today about Generation Y, Uh, the under-30 crowd that is entering the work world, beginning their careers, and how uh, the challenges created when they work with uh, some of the folks that are already in the work world, older folks uh, getting together, and we'll see how those two generations can mix and work together to be productive. But we do have some phone calls, so let's uh, go to the phone lines. And uh, first we'll invite uh, Karen from Ocean Springs onto the program. Karen, go ahead, please. Hello. I just wanted to say that I learned something from one of my children when she was young. Mm -hmm. It was a major project for a class, and I was very enthusiastic about that topic, and so I kind of took it away from her and was supposedly, quote-unquote, helping, Mm. and in the end, when she won the ribbon for the project, I said, didn't you do a great job? And she turned to me and handed me the ribbon and said, yes, you did, Mom. (laughs) And I I learned that in elementary school, and what I want to encourage parents to do is there's a get out of the way and Mm -hmm. let the achievement be their achievement, because many times in your zeal to see them want to achieve, you steal the achievement from them. Thank you. All right. Uh, Karen, well said. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks for the call. Um, And I guess... uh that's that's one of the you know like I said to me this is a difficult thing because it's such a a delicate balance you know to uh, to encourage kids to to uh, help them in in homework and things like that and and help them to become involved and interested in in their schoolwork and that sort of thing but not to as Karen said sometimes you get too involved as a parent and and kind of take over uh, a project or something like that. Well, I think there's two components to what Karen was talking about. One is sort of a natural excitement. 
You know, I, I think if my son was to say, hey, dad, I want to be a doctor, I'd be all over it and be dragging him to rounds because I'd be so excited that he would want to share something that's interesting to me. The other part is, is that sometimes parents want their children to get the blue ribbon, want their children to be only A students, want their children to be the top of the class. And that's where I think we can get into this overstepping of our boundaries. And that's what this is about. And you'll hear the term for me so much about boundaries, is learning to set healthy boundaries so that the individual can learn to do it for themselves. I have certainly um, seen situations where um, some other kids... uh, in the class, you know, their projects look mighty professional. You know, gosh, to have a first grader who's doing PowerPoint presentations, <laughs> you know, go, goodness gracious, you know. Um, maybe the kid is that good, but a lot of times it's the help of the parents. Whereas really letting a, a elementary kid writing on paper with a pencil is probably going to be a better way for them to learn stages. You know, uh, people might disagree with me and say a, a kid can learn to use a computer and use to use learn to use Microsoft Office and PowerPoint or whatever at an early age. But, you know, there's two components to that. One is when the parent gets too excited and takes over, like Karen was saying, and it really does. It takes away the achievement and as well as the satisfaction the child feels. Most children will not feel a great deal of a sense of accomplishment and approval if the parent's done the work and they still get the ribbon. Most kids would rather play hard, work hard, and come in second place than to have somebody carry them to the finish line. And also, though, I think that uh, that feeling of accomplishment is, is good to, to let kids have because that builds their confidence and then and, and helps them uh, be able to maybe tackle the next project that comes along. That, you know, if something that, that they might not feel very f- uh, comfortable with, a, a assignment at school or something, but they can think to themselves, hey, you know, I, I got the blue ribbon at the science fair or whatever. So you're right. I think uh, kind of taking away that, that sense of accomplishment in the long run while you're trying to help them out by helping them out and, and getting a good mark or a good grade, if that, if that feeling of success doesn't go along with it, I think that maybe there, there's something missing in that transaction, I guess. The other part, too, is it's a process. As kids learn, it, it, it generalizes. I learned to tie my shoe. I learned to tie a, a rope. I learned to tie um, a hang line. I don't know, something. But we take successes and things that we've mastered and then apply it to other things. And then we fine-tune it from there. And the kid who learns to work hard um, to put together a project will also learn to work hard to play basketball. Working hard means, uh, you know, practicing uh free throw shots, you know, in the backyard, you know, uh, shooting at the hoop in the garage or, you know, when my son eventually asks a girl out and she tells him no and, and he'll learn that, okay, I can ask a girl out and get turned down and still go on. It It's not going to crush me or, or break my self-esteem. And it's steps. But children, once they master something, they can then go on and, and apply it and even change it uh, to the new challenges. We're on Relatively Speaking. Uh, we're got to go to the phone lines again. We'll go next to Byram, and uh, Rosalind is on the line. Go ahead, please. Well, I was just calling in regards to the conversation that's going on. Mm-hmm. I think lots of it has to do with maybe book sense as far as what a person learns in college mm-hmm. with all of the comments that the doctor is making. But, you know, when it comes to uh, maybe a impoverished generation, it takes a whole lot more, like mother's wit or common sense to teach our children because, like I mentioned earlier, my son is 24 years old now, and mm-hmm. he's born with strikes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And when I was teaching him when he was coming up, you know, various things as far as the school, 
and its surrounding, the teachers, the principals, they would knock down a whole lot of stuff. I moved out of the Jackson area in order to not allow him to fall through the cracks in the system. Mm-hmm. But it was worse when I came to a better uh, neighborhood. They knocked him down. It's like he couldn't succeed regardless. So I think that that idea as to uh, letting a child fight, fail, it goes to different levels in society today. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't apply to everybody. That's just my opinion. Well, Rosalind, I think I think that's very important that you're sharing your opinion with us because it's also true. If a child is repeatedly set up to fail or fails repeatedly, they do need more nurturing. And it's not just a parent, as I mentioned earlier, and I'm glad Rosalind kind of brings us up, is that everybody in the community can help out. And, and teachers play a very important role, religious uh, people uh, as well, but also police officers, anybody as an adult who can be a positive reinforcement for the child can participate in nurturing a child. But uh, Rosalind also points out, you know, there are some people who do have um, strikes against them, uh, as she says, you know, and, and that's one of the things that life's not fair. And and I think that is important for a child to learn, you know, that, look, for the most part, uh, life's not always fair, but you usually get out what you put in. Although you'll certainly you'll have people who will hold things against you for whatever reason. But I'm really glad Rosalind, you know, took the time to call in and share her, her perspective and her opinion as well. Ron, relatively speaking this morning, we're talking about uh, the positive effects of encouragement in your children versus drawbacks of rewarding everyone, over-nurturing. Uh, if you have a question or comment, our number is 877-MPB-RING, which is 877-672-7464. A reminder, you can also send us an email, the email address family at mpbonline.org. Let's continue on some phone calls. We'll go to Meridian. Corey's on the line. Corey, what do you have for us today? Well, um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, uh, growing up, my uh, my parents were always very, um, very encouraging of... Uh, you know, anything, you know, anything I wanted to do um, as far as, you know, uh, learning and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was never many consequences in, uh, you know, for, for failing. And I think what that, what that really did ultimately was that, uh, you know, I was able to go in and learn what I wanted to learn, and that, that gave me a lot of, of freedom there and I think encouraged it. But in high school, you know, I, I assume just as much as, you know, any uh, – any typical high school would be all very lazy and didn't do much for homework. And so my grades weren't spectacular, but whenever it comes to to, uh, standardized testing, I did, you know, quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, And ultimately what that, what that wound up resulting in is as I got to college, um, I didn't have the motive, the self-motivation to really push myself through. And, you know, I didn't have my parents behind me um, um, pushing me through. So uh, I wound up um, failing out um, and, you know, I guess typically, um, joining the military, um, but I, you know, with higher standardized testing, I got into a really good branch, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the new program in the Navy, and, um, you know, and, and I excelled there with the, with the extra determination, the motivation behind it, where they kind of force you to succeed. Yes. So, you know, take that as you will, um, you know, behind, uh, I guess, which it, which it encourages, you know, the, the nurturing or the, uh, the discipline. Boy, Corey brings up so many important ideas, dude. Corey, I think I swear you and I probably ran the same path. You know that was that was me in high school. Is uh, you know the uh, the three point the uh, three point three uh, A B student, but you know could have done better and uh, but then did well in my special in my testing too. But you know Corey brings up a very important point about the military, and the military is a highly structured teaching. Uh, regimented structure uh, program, you know, and I have seen so many young people 
who have found that they lacked sort of the self-discipline um, or the self-drive. And I've seen them do wonderful in the military. You know, the military is certainly not uh, perfect for everybody, but it sounds like in Corey's situation, that gave him the structure for him to, to as a foundation for him to achieve. And it sounds like he's, he's going on to do great things. And Corey, thank you for your military uh, uh, time and, and dedication for that. You know, just for our listeners, uh, my um, my brother-in-law, Willie, Willie Joe, I guess Joseph now. We can't call him <laughs> Willie Joe, but he, he finished four years uh, in the Marines, and we're glad to have him home. He came back home uh, the 31st of August. We're glad to have him back uh, home. And it gave him, uh, in a very similar way, it gave him the self-discipline and a drive to make changes in his life. And, and uh, Willie Joe, we're glad you're back. Ron, relatively speaking, we're talking about um, the positive effects of encouragement versus drawbacks of rewarding everyone. Uh, we're also going to be talking this hour about uh, Generation Y. It's the under 30 crowd that is just out starting their career. They have a little bit of a different outlook on life, and so we can examine in the rest of this hour uh, the ways that they can interact with uh, some older uh, workers that they'll encourage and uh, they'll encounter as they start their careers, and hopefully uh, maybe uh, working together. Because, you know, that's, that's one thing, I guess, that as uh, as different age different generations work together i think maybe the the first thought on on both sides of the aisle as it were might be a little bit of distrust or something but i would imagine that with an open mind that us older folks could learn from the younger 30 mm-hmm. crowd some new things some new ways of looking at things but also i think maybe the younger folks could look to people who have been established in their careers and have done things a little bit differently. So I think it's a, it's a, certainly is a, a chance to grow and to expand uh, horizons on, on both sides of the equation. I totally agree. I think it's something both uh, all generations can learn from each other. You know, the older folks have wisdom to share and life experiences to share. But also, you know, the, the young folks have the new ideas that uh, we can't be dinosaurs set in our ways. We, we can learn from these young people who are coming in with exciting ideas and new thoughts. You know, um, to kind of follow up on the differences between the generations of my going to med school and now, last month I chastised a group of medical students. I had called the unit, said I was going to be running late, and told them actually, you know, I was going to be rounding about uh, an hour and a half later than normal. Rounding is when the doctors go to the bedside and we see each patient. And at the teaching hospital, we have this long train of eight to ten <laughs> medical students and residents and nurses and things like pharmacists and, and social workers who all come with us. Um, but I still went in uh, like I normally do at about seven o'clock. Oftentimes, even on Monday morning, I'll go in and just check in with the ward. I call the nurses. And so I stayed there until 830 before leaving UMC to come here. And there was no medical students. And uh, so when the medical students were all prepared around 1030, I said, where were you guys? You know, um, I I said, even though I told you I was going to be running late, you still had a chance to be here. And they said, well, we heard you were going to round late, so we just decided to come in later. And, And I was trying to teach them an idea that had been taught to me is that, you know, the field of medicine is not a nine to five gig. There's always something to learn, and I want you to learn that. And they were also perhaps telling me, look, you know, let's be efficient with our time. Who knows what they were doing? You know, I, I hope they were studying for their boards. But <laughs> but having coffee with colleagues is an important way to keep yourself well-rounded too. So, uh, you know, we there is ways to learn from everybody. You know, um, the patient who comes in who has a drug addiction problem, I tell them, can teach you about drug addiction if you stop and listen. And the same thing holds true to the medical students. That's why I like being a teacher 
is, man, they, they challenge me. They're asking great questions, uh, opportunities for resources. They've got handheld PDAs, and, and it's just amazing. You know, I don't. Uh, you know, I still look it up in the book, you know, but it's wonderful when, when you when you have an open mind that people can teach you. Even the young people can teach you new things about yourself. Ron, relatively speaking, time for another break. Uh, but when we get back, we'll have more uh, discussion, more phone calls. Sue is on the line from Columbus. Sue, if you could hold on for just a moment, we'll get to you after this break is over on Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio. And welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell with Dr. Greg Gordon. This morning we're talking about the everyone gets a trophy mentality. When is uh, what, you know, the positive effects of encouragement versus maybe over encouraging pampering? Where is the line? Where do you draw the line? Uh, what makes uh, for uh, a, a good, well rounded individual? How do we help our kids uh, learn about failure and then learn to succeed from failures to not to let it get them down? If uh, you'd like to join our conversation with a comment or a question, the number is 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Let's go back to the phone lines. Sue has called in from Columbus. Sue, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I was just thinking as you were chatting with people about how sometimes um, as a, a teacher years ago, I would hear parents say things like, um, the father had planned to take the children to the zoo if they cleaned up their room, and they weren't doing it. So I ran up and helped them, and we worked together really fast, and we got the room cleaned up so they could go. Mm. And when it came down to it, they had really done the cleaning. child had kind of sat around and was able to get the reward. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think we need to really concentrate on having children accept responsibility for the decisions that they make. And I haven't heard you mention that, but I'm, I'm beginning to think that um, that's going to be a real problem in our generation if children don't accept responsibilities for their decisions. Um, and just one more thing, um, as a teacher, mm-hmm. I've seen students who have um, attitude problems who get in the way of their studies and they refuse to do their homework Parents are rushing in saying, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? And the whole thing boils down to the student has to accept responsibility for some of the learning that's not being taken place. So um, uh, there are times when, um, um, as an extreme, when a student needs to fail a test or maybe repeat a course. But at some point, I, I think we need to concentrate on helping children accept responsibilities for the decisions that they're making, good or bad. Oh, I agree, Sue. You know, it, it's what uh, what P 
people make as choice need to have a consequence in order to mold behavior. You know, if I could, you know, if I could get paid as a doctor and not have to go to work and hang out and watch football, I, I assure you I would, you know, but it doesn't work that way. And I think Corey brought along the same sort of idea too. the the gentleman who went into the Navy was that without consequences for not doing the work, there really wasn't that motivation and he didn't have that external structure. And that's where letting children make choices and letting the choices fall where they may. Consequences are not always bad. As a matter of fact, consequences is just the next step from uh, what action leads to the next result. Um, it can be positive. It can be neutral. It can be negative. Um, but getting a chance to have people learn from their consequences and, and then they decide, do I want to do this? You know, uh, do I want to become a doctor? Do I want to become a pilot? You know, would I like to be a um, a garbage man? You know, somebody who who uh, who does that. You know, the thing about it is, you know, if it makes sense to the person and they've done it and they've tried it and they get the reward out of it that they want, you know, people can have um, wonderful jobs. You know, and there is no honest job beneath a man's dignity if it provides for the for themselves and for their family, or no job beneath anybody's dignity if it provides for them. The person who works to uh, for um, waste management to take care of our our, our garbage does an equally as important job, uh, different but equally as important job as I do in terms of society. I have something to offer, and so does that person working with waste management has something to offer this world. Oh, certainly. And I, I think if uh, you've ever forgot to take your trash out uh, when it, it's picked up, you, you understand how, how valuable everyone's contribution is to, to keeping a well-ordered society. You know, one thing I'd like to go back to your analogy you used earlier this morning about uh, teaching your daughter how to ride a bike. And you said mm-hmm. that uh, that whole idea of letting her fail and that you had mentioned that you're always there to grab the bike if just a, a moment's wobble or whatever. You were there to steady or whatever. And you had been on call one weekend and, and your wife said, hey, you know, we learned how to ride the bike. But the thing is on that uh, – in that example, uh, when your daughter lets you let go of the bike and she falls, you don't just sit there and look at her. You know, you rush over maybe and say, "Oh, you scrape your knee. Let me get a band aid for you, whatever." So mm-hmm. that the idea is, when we teach kids about failure, we don't just let it go there. There's there's a follow up. So there is there's nurturing and there's encouragement that we can made sure. even in the face of failure. Yeah, that's a very good point because you know how how parents respond to failure is greatly impacts the attitude that the child has towards failure. If you say, all right, buddy, it's okay. You can try again. Let's get up. You know, let's take care of that boo-boo and let's, you know, whatever. Uh, And there's some parents who might yell, scream, curse, you know, call them worthless. Uh, And and that's a child who gives up, you know. Uh, That's a child who says, I don't want to try it anymore. Um, Children will work very hard for parents as long as we're consistent we provide uh, reasonable expectations, and they get something out of it. And a lot of times what kids want is approval, praise, and uh, attention time from their parents. But, again, how how we as parents respond to a setback does set the tone. Uh, the same thing, too, if the child uh, falls off the bike and scrapes the knee and the parent says, that's it, you're never going out again. I will never, you know, how could I have done this to you? I feel so guilty. You know, if I if uh, maybe that would have been me if she fell. (laughs) But, you know, how parents respond and how adults respond too is important. And and Sue as retired nurse, I'm sorry, retired teacher is telling us something very important about, you know, she's there. She's been on uh, uh, in the school with the kids and she's seen how some parents overstep boundaries, how some parents don't let their children experience the consequences of their behavior, you know. Uh, and it it would be super tough if one of my children had to repeat a grade. 
I, 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 you know, obviously I wouldn't be happy about it, but sometimes that's the motivations that uh, kids need to do. Or perhaps for me, you know, failing that test in embryology, because the follow-up to that is I had set up a, um, a research rotation, a paid research rotation with Sinai Hospital where I was going to get good money. Well, I had to cut it in half because I had to take the refresher course and retest for embryology during the summer in order to go on as a second-year medical student, which I did, and uh, you know, um, and I learned something for it. But I, in order for me, I, I had to go through the process of, of uh, failing, readjusting, accepting that I can fail in that it doesn't mean I'm not going to become a doctor. It just means I'm going to have to work harder, and I don't understand embryology. <laughs> Here is a, an email received from Liz. Says she's 26 and in a superior position to people much older with far more experience. Her older coworkers dismiss her ideas and resent her. Is it her fault she can multitask a lot better than older workers and show more initiative? And this is, I think, what we want to try to get into: the idea of, of kind of the two generations kind mm-hmm. of working together. Um, and again, I think this is that we talked about that maybe the initial distrust of, of someone outside kind of your comfort zone. Oh, yes. Well, you know, it sounds like this uh, young lady is clearly, you know, um, has the skills, the training and, and probably the education to get ready. You know, and, and perhaps there are people who are in the supervising position or who she's the coworkers that they're working with uh, needs to also practice being open too. you know, I think we can really learn a lot from every generation. And, you know, for Liz, is mm-hmm. it? Liz, you know, Liz, look, if, if you're good at what you do, then you have that confidence. You'd be proud of your work and put your best for put your best effort every day, regardless of what your coworkers think about. But you will see Liz, but that's life. You will come across people who will be unfair to you. You will come across people who will be unfairly kind to you. Uh, and that's part of, you know, uh, you know, adjusting and getting into the swing of life. And I'm glad to see that you have that motivation and that drive. And I hope I have that, too, when I'm 68, <laughs> you know, and I'm still uh, hopefully heading on to the hospitals. And, and I hope I have that drive and that passion like you do right now. Ron, relatively speaking this morning, talking about the uh, balance between encouraging children, encouraging our kids to do well versus maybe over uh, pampering and, and, and doing things for them and not letting them learn about life's experiences. We're also going to be talking about uh, two generations working together, the uh, Gen uh, the Gen Wires, the under 30 crowd as they uh, enter the work world and begin their career. They're uh, uh, many times working with older uh, workers, people from a different generation. And so how, how do we get together? How do we work with people who ha- uh, who have different outlooks on life and different experiences in life? Uh, how do we work together with them to, to be productive in the workforce? If you have a question for us, a comment, or if you'd like to send an email, you can call either 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Obviously, you would not call that number to send an email. You would send it to family at mpbonline.org. And one of the interesting things that uh, comes out every year, I think a a college professor uh, puts the list out, but it's like uh, for freshmen entering uh, college, it's a list of things that they've never had. I mean, it's like... Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I think this one, this the the freshmen that entered uh, college this year have you know never not had the internet and a lot of those mm-hmm. other things. But I, I always like those because I think it does point out, you know, how things are advancing and how even in our society how how quickly seems things to advance. And I think that that's maybe one of the keys uh, to getting along with uh, with a different generation, a, a maybe an older or younger coworker in a workplace, is to first acknowledge and recognize that these people 
kind of had have had had a different upbringing, a different set of experiences that they're bringing uh, to the workforce. Oh, sure. I think, you know, we're talking about we're getting back to the idea of communication and that you have people, I guess, if you will, from different cultures, you know, different uh, cultures in terms of, you know, a generation such as the under 30 who have grown up with the Internet, electronic devices and the calculator who never had a slide rule like we had back in in uh, the 10th, 10th, 10th or 11th grade, <laughs> you know, for me. You know, I can still remember the little calculator was, was a big hit um, 30 years ago. Uh, but again, you because you have different cultures doesn't mean that you cannot have a mutual respect, uh, find ways to communicate in a direct, non-threatening manner, and have an openness to learn from both the elder and the younger, that each generation, each culture has something to add and that as a group, a team is a team that is diverse with different type of attitudes, knowledge, uh, work ethics is actually going to be a stronger team than somebody who is a superstar. You know, we, we, we watched the Chicago Bulls for so long. Michael Jordan, uh, a fantastic player, didn't achieve uh, the world championship until he had the team of Scottie Pippen around him and in, in the other support uh, team there because Everyone has a chance to learn. So, you know, it may begin getting back to the, some of those old social skills by getting a chance to say, you know, look, this is what I have to offer and I want to learn from you what you can offer me. And I think coming in with an idea that, you know, you may have been the old dog who's been here 26 years and me, I've been in medicine now 20, uh, 16 years now, but we can still learn from the people who are coming in. Uh, and that's the exciting part about having new blood coming into a, an organization. There was a time you yourself was the young buck here at uh, <laughs> at uh, Public Radio, and, and you've been here now almost 25 years. That's right. Uh, and that's an interesting point that we'll follow up on because I, I totally agree with that. It's a, it's an interesting uh, dynamic. Uh, we're going to take our final break of the hour. Still looking for questions and comments, especially I had mentioned earlier. If, uh, if you're someone who is an older worker and you've successfully worked with someone younger in your uh, workforce or vice versa, you had a success story that you'd like to share with us, please take a, a moment and give us a call, 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. mpbonline.org. MPB Think Radio. And welcome back to Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell with Dr. Greg Gordon wrapping up our discussion this hour uh, by talking about uh, two generations coming together working in a workforce. In this case, uh, the baby boomers and the uh, Gen Xers, I guess it is, uh, and now with uh, working with the, the Gen Yers, the under 30 crowd who are finally making their way into the work world, beginning their careers, spreading their wings, as it were. And, you know, Dr. Gordon, you mentioned uh, before the break, and it was something I was thinking of, was that I started working at um, what was then um, uh, Public Radio in Mississippi, now MPB, uh, at age 24. So I was certainly the young, the, the young buck, as it were, kind of new man on the totem pole. Uh, and so I think um, 
as you're as you're ending the work world and you're in interacting with some of your older coworkers, maybe just keep in mind that uh, if you are successful and stick with it, you know, but before too much before you realize it, I guess you're going to be the older generation. Then maybe sort of showing your way of sharing your experiences uh, with with younger workers. And so I think uh, to me, it's it's a it's a bit of a of a challenge and kind of exciting. Um, you, to me, when I talk with younger people, I, I really do think it's it's exciting, and I, I find it a way to try to share my experiences in the world uh, to try to help them maybe um, another way of looking at things. I think maybe try not to be overbearing and, and say, this is my way, we've always done it this way, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we'll do it this way, but to, to kind of give them the experience of, of having worked in the work world. And so maybe the New ideas of the young generation with the experience of of the older generation working together, that would really be, I would think, a a big positive for for any work environment. Absolutely. Being open as a team, listening to the new people, hearing their words, hearing their advice, hearing their ideas, and uh, getting a chance to have them be a part of the team in some of the decision-making, some of the delegations of authority, responsibility, and power. And I always recommend Chinese food lunch. (laughs) Nothing builds a team like a Chinese food lunch. But, you know, and you had mentioned earlier, and I think it's true, it kind of gets down to effective communication. So maybe in these last couple of minutes we could talk about that. So uh, what are some ways to maybe try to effectively communicate with someone that you realize is of a different background, of a different set of experiences in life than you are? Well, I think one of the things that so many of the uh, uh, younger generation do is is they are very much uh, electronically involved with that. And I myself uh, have a pager that I'm forced to keep in a cell phone that I didn't know had a camera until my you know <laughs> uh, nine-year-old daughter took a picture with it. Um, realizing that that two people may speak a different language, no different than some of the the slang in the past. Hey, dude, you know, uh, means something totally different now than when I was in high school. Um, These type of things, as they evolve and change, understanding how both sides communicate and perhaps to make sure that you say, well, look, you know, um, I don't like to text message. I know you do. So, you know, we need to make a decision about that. Uh, I like to email uh, Facebook, social networks, uh, other different type of things are all important. And um, more and more of the uh, baby boomers and older folks need to be open to adapting these new technologies and new resources that this instant messaging and uh, texting is part of a, a new electronically engaged age. Um, and so being open to ways of communication to the younger folks, understand that certain Certain people who are not familiar with electronics may not be too open to that and still being open to a handwritten uh, note or letter, you know, or meeting face to face. It's really going to depend upon what situation the workers are in, what um, what the team mission is, what's the goal of the company, what's the mission of the group, I think is very important. You know, uh, there is no I in team. And understanding that together, you know, a hardworking team will be more successful than an individual superstar. Uh, let's see if we can get this uh, phone call in before we end. Uh, Rich, Richard has called in from Ridgeland. Uh, Richard, you said you're the older guy in a company full of young folks. Uh, what is that experience like? Well, I, I occasionally I get tended to be kind of pushed to the side as I get the I don't get the actual comments, but I seem to get the the feeling that you know you're just the old guy that that we've got around. To, uh, we just kind of keep you here because you work pretty good, but uh, we don't really need any of your experience or ideas. We've got it all under control. Mm. And uh, sometimes that can really be 
hurtful to somebody in their mid-50s who's working towards retirement and mm-hmm. not worried, maybe even possibly worried about what happens when they decide that they don't need me around anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Richard, so. what's it like for you as, as somebody with experience, knowledge, and wisdom to, to feel that way, you know, being treated that way by younger coworkers? Well, I try to I try to to be as helpful as as I can to everybody. And when I come up with an idea, I usually just get pushed to the side. But but it's okay. It it's it doesn't really affect me that much. I mean, I still do my job and I enjoy my work and everything. So <laughs> it's, it's just, it was just a, an idea that that I hadn't heard you talk about. So. Yeah, Richard, is, that's very important, and, and it is something that we're dealing with, too, nowadays is ageism, you know, that more and more people with a great deal of experience, wisdom, knowledge, and uh, technique are being kind of left to the side, and, and that's also a, a problem, too, of, you know, um, the young person not getting their respect, but the person who has done their dues and, and, and is doing a very good job being pushed aside for somebody who might do a better job, um, and the idea of where's the loyalty at now. And, and that's where one culture I do think sees, you know, older generations tended to stay with one place. Younger generations, I think, will spend something like seven or eight different jobs during the course of their lifetime, whereas many other people stayed with one company their whole life. And again, I think it's uh, if uh, if both sides of the, the the younger generation and the older folks could realize that uh, there's you know the the other side is coming from a different set of experiences, but I do think that there is value and uh, something that both people can learn from each other. In other words, as I said before, sort of a, a marriaging of new ideas and kind of an excitement and enthusiasm versus uh, experience. Uh, I think working together uh, that that would be successful in in any sort of work environment. Uh, reminder of our email address: it's family at MPB online. You can use that each uh, Monday morning during the program if you can't get to the telephones to uh, join in the conversation. But we're always also looking for topic ideas and things that are interesting interesting to you, things that you would like to hear more about, things that you would like to hear discussed on the radio program. So if you ever have some suggestions for us, you can certainly email them to family at mpbonline.org. Relatively Speaking is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funded by the generous contributions from listeners like you. Our producer is Karen Hearn. For Dr. Greg Gordon, I'm Kevin Farrell, asking you to listen to Money Talks tomorrow morning at 9 and hope that you'll be with us next Monday at 9 for another Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. MPBonline.org. MPB Think Radio.